0: competitive 40k network presents art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet and now your host tim penny and the art of war coaches
1: What's going on, everyone? I am your hostess with the mostest, Nick Nanavati, and you are listening to yet another wonderful episode of the Art of War 40K podcast. Unfortunately, our usual host, Mr. Tim Penny, he's dealing with some personal stuff right now, so everything's fine, and you got me and all the good times. We're here with Mr. Lennon. You might know him as the Boy King. You might know him as... Just the boy, but it doesn't matter. He is the number one player in the ITC, and he is here to help guide us through our discussion with Mr. Malik Rubio. Malik here just came off his back to back London GT Invitational and London GT Open win, going, was it 10-0, Malik? With, 10 and 0 Malik? 10 and 0? 10 and 0? With Adeptus Mechanicus, everyone's favorite faction. So, as much as. Uh, Admec be Admec. Now, 10 and 0 is still super impressive. We're trying to talk about exactly how Malik brought home the glory and also bring some light to Lungeon DT because that's the first super major we've had in the UK. Isn't that right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. and uh, super proud. Thank you for having me on. And uh, glad to be talking about it.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you and getting your perspectives. John, how are you doing tonight?
0: I am fantastic. It's good to be back. Uh, you know, obviously we've been... Uh, quite busy going to back-to-back weekends, and uh, it is good to be back home sitting in my own chair and recording a podcast while talking to some wonderful 40k players.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to get this conversation started. So first, Malik, why don't you tell us about how it was going to Lungeon TT, playing the 10-game marathon across three days, and uh, just what that experience was like.
2: Oh, definitely. To be <laughs> really honest, tiring. Uh, I, I know how you're both feeling after a couple of uh, weekends and I think uh, we won't use the c word, but post post apocalypse, we haven't played a lot of Warhammer, and uh, to go and then play ten games was unreal, and uh, it was totally unexpected as well. Obviously, we'll talk about the format in a minute, but um, I definitely wasn't thinking that that was going to be the case. But um, just amazing to be back amongst so many people. Like I think every conversation was very much like, oh my god, how you been? You know, because uh, we hadn't seen people sometimes for kind of eighteen months, two years. Uh, so it was just incredible. There was a kind of a thousand hobbyists under one roof. Um, cause it wasn't just a four, 40 K kind of GT that was on, they had all other events as well. So just a really phenomenal feeling to, to be able to be around people who love our hobby. Um, and just real credit to the organizers as well. Like I'm sure we'll talk about it and the internet will talk about it, but, um, I'm just so grateful that we can do events like that again and we, you know, we can play the game we love.
1: Yeah, I know the, the U.S. has opened up a little bit faster than the U.K., but in same experience maybe a six, seven months ago, just the first time you go to that tournament, you see everyone you haven't seen in a couple of years. Uh, it's it's amazing, such a euphoric feeling. So I'm glad you guys are getting that now.
2: Oh, 100%. I don't think we'd breached that kind of 100% tournament in, in many places really before then. And uh, it's definitely a famine to feast kind of vibe because uh, we've cut some like smaller tournaments to this absolute biggest tournament we've ever had. Uh, here in the UK, which is amazing as well. So uh, hopefully, it means we can give you a little bit of a run for your money in the old ITC as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I hope you guys get some larger events. It'd be lovely to have some competition from across the pond. Keep John on his toes.
2: That's that's, <laughs> that's the plan. Zach uh, Zach's making it happen for us, and uh, who knows? You know, hopefully, with uh, with the world opening up again, we might we might show up at a US event or two. Uh, the plan's still to go to Vegas. So fingers crossed, we're all good to go by then. That'd
1: be great. Hopefully, we'll get a game in. I think we're due. <laughs> uh, we,
2: we definitely are. We definitely. Are. I'll try and not lose round one this time this year. It's okay, I'll try
1: to make it pass round two myself.
2: <laughs> totally, that's the plan. There we go. We've made a plan.
1: All right, Malik, I want to ask you a couple of questions about how you prepared for London GT, because this isn't a question I typically ask on these shows, but like you said, you were coming out of uh, the apocalypse, as he put it, for not really playing much 40K for months and months and months, and the events you did get to play in were pretty small. How do you prepare for a 500-person event?
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely a tough one. So typically, you, you play every matchup, right? You play it over and over again. You get the repetitions in, and it's a little bit harder. Either People's schedules are a little bit busier um or actually people can't travel sometimes so actually our team is spread across the uk it's not just london based it's mostly london based um i'm really fortunate kind of my flatmate plays and obviously he's an amazing player as well so uh that's really really helpful um but i think the biggest thing that people don't realize that goes into kind of preparing for a tournament like that is the amount of time you spend just chatting and talking about 40k so you are just persistently discussing every matchup discussing the meta discussing changes reviewing events that have gone all over the world and what you can glean from different lists so um i think that's you know there's a lot of talk right now obviously whether the lists are very easy to use or not whether there's any player skill involved and i think actually just more than fifty percent of a tournament is, is played well before you even hit the table, um, which is in in those little group chats that you might have. And if you've got a team, it's in in the teamwork that you put in. Um, either sometimes, you know, some some of our, my team helped me by actually just putting lists down that they don't regularly play, but um, I thought I had kind of weaknesses against or I didn't like as a matchup. So actually they'd either build them or they they proxy them and and actually just play against me just to to help me out. Um, so a load, a load of preparation, if I was being super honest, what we haven't really had is that kind of competitive, uh, preparation. Cause usually in the run-up to a really major tournament, you play some smaller tournaments, right? So you get that kind of table vibe when you've got not, you know, like you, you play very casually with your friends, right? You'll, you'll have all the take backs in the world. You'll talk about what would the best option be here. Whereas obviously on a competitive table, you're playing against an opponent that isn't necessarily going to share their tactics with you. So. Um, all in the group chat and uh, all in the theory hammer as well you know you, you you crunch some numbers as well make sure you know that you know the most common interactions you're going to have so what does a squad of rangers do to a raider for example like you need to know that before you hit the table so i think that's how i i, I go about my preparation and i think in in many ways that's what really helps me through games as well that you know i know what that's going to feel and play out before i've actually started an interaction I love it. I have to ask, what was the actual list that you uh, that you settled on for the open? So I, I did two different lists, and I'm sure we'll get into that right now. So the the, the Invitational was a different challenge, and um, the LGT uh, obviously had its own unique set of circumstances, which have probably been discussed a million times. But I basically landed on a list with four planes and 95 ranges um, and very little tools. So just really pure threat saturation, which kind of I've, I've talked about and written about before, just absolutely trying to maximize the damage output but because you know the ability to mix Mars and Lucia, so not taking the veteran cohort, you do have some defensive bits that you can kind of pile on onto the Lucia. So, you know, um, within the list, in essence, there was three, four back and shoots because um, I invested in kind of the warlord traits. And again, just a, a good point. I think you were talking about it live actually the other day on, on CP. So, spending a ton of CPs pre game to just really power up the list. So. Uh, to be able to solar flare and then have two fallbacks and shoots were just covering lots of the the, the list's weakness. Um, so yeah, basically four planes, 95 rangers, two chickens and uh, four characters. And then uh, a cute little X101 who did absolutely nothing all weekend, but uh, confused everyone uh, <laughs> as they spent 10 minutes trying to figure out why he was in my list, uh, which was a load of fun to actually just talk to people about.
1: Who is this that's newest, an X101?
2: Yeah, it's a Blackstone <laughs> Fortress character. Not he's not a character, he's one of these he's kind of like the single urgal that uh can do rod and do other actions. Uh so he doesn't disturb the four draw dogma, so he's he's okay there. And um
1: is this like a solo infantry
2: that's unit? It. Yeah, he's 24. <laughs> he's twenty-four. <laughs> like a one man Absolutely, but uh, it was actually comedy because it was it was definitely a big mistake in that um I took him for games that I needed to do, retrieve Octarius data, but uh, because of the format, I rarely took that secondary because I was worried about trying to get 100 rather than 97. Um, But uh, he did one meaningful thing. He uh, held on uh, or threatened to hold an objective, which meant uh, actually one of the toughest games I had, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, uh, My opponent had to shoot him off uh, and because of that didn't put enough firepower into a marshal that ended up winning me the game. So... That's what he did. He helped me by dying.
1: That is absolutely amazing. I want to get into that just a little bit. But you played two different lists in the Invitational and in the Open. Is that correct?
2: Totally. So my, my Invitational list was a lot more balanced, right? So um, I guess I, I'll just I'll just put it out where, where I think everybody knows. So uh, the Invitational is obviously just a, a, a typical knockout format. So you just need to win the game, right? It doesn't matter whether you win by one or 100 points. You just need to win the game. So that, that list was a lot more balanced. It, it still featured... Uh, basically a, b- a bunch of blobs, so three blobs, so in essence 60 rangers, two planes, and then I had ten teraxy, um dogs, and some infiltrators, a, a big unit of dogs and some infiltrators, so a much more kind of toolbox standard ADMIC list, um, which can do different things, can play some of the ADMIC tricks, uh, whereas obviously the main GT list was all pure threat saturation. Um, and again, that was a lot of driven just by the format. So, um, we knew that the, the GT was going to be basically 500 people, but a cut to top four after five rounds. So, you know, it ended up being, I think, what, 15 people on five and oh or 15 to 17 people, something like that. So we knew that we couldn't, you couldn't afford a 70 point win like that. That was going to knock you out um so i think that's why i kind of opted for threat saturation it's not to say that i wouldn't take that list in any other format as well but um we actually saw in the invitational uh how it played out so in the second round of the invitational it was manny versus Nassim on the other table and myself versus inez and manny was just running his gt list which was very similar to mine pure threat saturation all the blobs all the planes whereas obviously i had the tools and we both went second actually into Iron Hands into very similar Iron Hands lists. But because I had the infiltrators and the dogs, I was able to push the pod out a little bit, turn one, so that it couldn't come and just absolutely nuke my planes. Whereas obviously the pure threat saturation list has no protection that way at all. So Manny took a hammering from the pods, uh, because he, he can nuke kind of zone them out. So that, that that is something that you you definitely have to consider. Um I'm not saying that threat saturation list doesn't work everywhere. I think uh, there's a, there's a lot of argument to still playing that way, but you open up some weaknesses that other people can exploit.
1: Yeah, right, I, 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 go ahead, John.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I I love it. Honestly, I'm
0: I'm impressed that you uh that you brought two different lists. So uh, whenever I'm getting ready for uh for a tournament, I'm usually trying to get as much practice in with whatever I'm thinking of doing. Um, did you look at the invitational at practice for the open at all, or was this you were just completely looking at winning each of them separately
2: on their own merits? Two different events, 100% two different events. Like, uh, they're, they're, they're they felt like chalk and cheese. So, uh, to I mean, can't like um, <laughs> being really, really respectful. Yeah, I love it, to, honestly. <laughs> um, to, to and the taking that different, the different just, mindset you into you each knew one, you were going to be well, first of it's really paid off.
0: Um, <laughs> second, uh, do you think it gave you an edge at all that maybe the rest of the players were looking at it as open practice or? we taking their open lists and uh you know i mean you mentioned that Manny was basically taking his open list to the invitational and uh clearly that made the difference uh you know putting yourself in similar situations you came out on top where uh unfortunately uh
2: was was he playing against Ines that he uh, got off a of struck by the iron hands i, I had uh ines and he had Nassim, who's uh, kind of one of the original writers of the iron hands list and um, i'm i'm not sure i think you know speaking to manny he, he there was definitely a little bit of that vibe for him that he wanted to kind of use the models that he was bringing down to London. Uh, he still had some differences between his kind of invitational list and his main list, but it was a case of a sixth plane rather than a full rework like I had, but I come from London, which is great. So, uh, I got to kind of go to that tournament and then come home. So it wasn't too much grief in terms of having to kind of keep models everywhere and whatnot. So I just changed the case basically uh, from one day to the next. Um, and then I, I definitely think you you need to approach them on their merits. So um, you know, you know, in an invitational, you're going to go in and, and face three very tough games immediately. There's there's no choice about it. There's not going to be any easy games. So, like, you can't afford to not have tools, in my opinion, to to win a, a little event like that. Um, whereas in the GT, you, you, there is going to be some mismatches somewhere along the line. Although if I'm honest, I ended up with none of that because I had the toughest strength of schedule, even after five rounds. So not after seven, after five rounds, I had the toughest strength of schedule in the entire hall. Uh, cause I started my experience straight away with a really good player in Steven box, who is fairly well known for Vanguard tactics. And honestly, I just played good players throughout. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was great, but definitely different approaches for the two tournaments.
1: That just makes your run even more impressive. So well done, Malik. Um, I do want to take a second and unpack just the difference in formats. Cause like you said, the invitational, you know you're gonna have these really hard games and only all you have to do is win. You don't need a hundred points necessarily. So you're taking these tools to give you uh, I guess, ability to play specific scenarios more uh scalpily, you know, like with, with a more crafted tool for the job, whereas your open list was just I'm trying to math you off the board as quickly as possible so I can then worry about scoring my 100 points. When you have that approach because you needed a win-loss format in the first one, the second one you were more focused on the battle points aspect of it because it was 500 people and fewer rounds. How do you draw that kind of line in the sand about which which lists going to make the cut or which ones are not? and When do you give yourself the tools or not?
2: Well, what I think is really important is that you still take lists on their ability to win games right so like a lot of the considerations for for my main list even though the very first thing was could i win to 100 right so do i have secondary options that are going to allow me to score 15s right so do i have whilst we stand built in uh things like that i think it's it's really important but at the same time I'm also just making sure that I can I can win the games and I'm not going to get rolled over going second and, and actually that was a, a really huge consideration is what did the mirror match look like and just adding small things that gave you a chance going second so people think it's an absolute foregone conclusion that you know admic versus admic it's it's a first turn game but you know just small little texts like the, the two chickens rather than a fifth plane or a sixth plane are huge because at, they take the same kind of firepower that the planes require to to be taken down right so you usually need to aim las cannons at them but actually when the admin player that's gone first potentially if if they have got an even slightly under average turn when you're returning fire you're returning fire and they don't usually have the save buff so actually all of a sudden having two chickens helps a lot they're totally hideable even in the lgt terrain which did have some obscuring pieces contrary to what the internet might say Um, so i think it's important to not get too lost in the format. So you have to be able to win games. You know, at the same time, I talk about it a lot. I think, you know, 40K has moved forward to a point where everybody talks about the mission a lot, and that's important. But sometimes people over-tool their lists and have no real kind of teeth and and no damage output. Um, And they can lose a game simply because they can't affect their opponent's army. Um, So I think it's always about balance, right? Um, threat saturation is a is a good strategy. It can work. Uh, at the same time, you know, if you overtool, you you open up a weakness in your list as well in terms of your damage output. So, I think balance is really really important. And um, if I'm honest, again, I, I actually went second five times out of those ten games. And one of the things was making sure that I could go second. Um, and really, the the only the only matchup I was very worried about was. Uh, kind of not having any answer to to a, a drop pod with four melters in it um, and things like that. that. That was the thing that I kind of accepted uh, was something I just had to give up um, in order to maximize my damage output.
1: Well, so a follow up question of that. In your open list, you obviously designed to get 100 points. And what that looked like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in any capacity, is your built in lobby stands, what were they exactly?
2: So it's actually the the three Lucius blobs. So um, the three blobs are rangers, which primarily end up staying behind so again i also kind of wrote the list and thought about how i'd want to play it so um people really fear the ranger's blob because its ability to use wrath and mars along with kind of either galvanic fire or just its basic 40 shots right to maximize six mortal wounds so i could almost always keep the three lucius blobs fairly safe and when one did teleport it was either to really do the damage the the kind of game-ending damage because I was maybe going first or I was in a position where the opponent had kind of misdeployed. Um, And when it did teleport its first turn, it teleported full of buffs, right? So ignore AP 1 and 2, Firepoint Telemetry Cache, Transhuman basically. So um, people had to really fight through to try and get through to my Scott squads and actually the only game where anybody killed any of the Lucius squads was the I had an orcs matchup against the buggies and obviously I didn't pick whilst we stand against that because there's nothing you can do uh against that firepower. So yeah whilst we stand was definitely in there and obviously planes open up engage relatively easily. Um so just lots of options for, for your secondaries as well even though you've got a massively killy list.
1: And what would be like a, a go-to third one? Because imagine your opponent's list doesn't give up a max in any category, like maybe 10th in the right, or no prisoners or eight bring it down. So how would you make up those last points in that so, last one?
2: So we luckily in, in a super major like that, they, um, they show you the missions, right? So um, we knew a couple of the missions had easy secondaries, so stuff like priority target, which is just an auto 15. Um, and also some of them opened up banners uh, as well. As a, as a real option. It was really hard. When, when, when the opponent is dealing with kind of that level of damage, you can almost always collapse a flank, even if they've got, like, a durable army. So you can really keep one, one, one of your sides safe. Um, and I actually focus a lot on my gameplay, and, and we can talk about it in a minute, in keeping my, my stuff safe. So, for example, like, whenever I was in the Drakari matchups, the, the witches were my number one target. Like, I hunted them. Like something ugly like it's weird because there was incubi about and things that scare you but um like the witches were always my number one target i'd surround the raider with planes so that they couldn't disembark into anywhere safe just to shoot them so there was nothing like a a no escape coming anywhere near me um which which would have kind of ended a game for me so um, i tried to also match my tactics and, and how i play the list around what my weaknesses were um and then beyond that i had rod as a fallback so um, that's what X-101 was there for. So um, I would very regularly outflank 15 of the Rangers. So one of the squads was smaller and um, and X-101, which obviously a single single model is so hard to screen out. Um, so it was a really easy eight or 12, but I wanted to avoid that. But it was kind of my fallback. I, I definitely took it in some of the tougher matchups uh, where I was scared I'd get into a bit of a grind to make sure I had an easy 12 Um and also had multitasking cortex built in. So actually the, the squad that teleported, the, the Solar Flare squad, would often kind of teleport, do an action wherever it's gone. And then you usually have two quarters that are easy and the fourth quarter's done by X101 towards the end game because the opponent does not want to be trying to screen out a single model.
1: Yeah. A lot of times I I find personally, I put in units like servitors or five-man vanguards or five-man rangers, things like that to really facilitate my ease of mission play, do some actions for me so I don't have to spend 20 rangers doing an action like raise a banner. And you just skipped all of that. You just took like 20-man bricks, math, 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 math. And when you do that. You create those inefficiencies because now I have to spend 20 rangers to raise a banner. How did you deal with that?
2: So obviously the beauty of AdMech is that they've got the answers. So the manipulators can raise banners because they're not actually giving out an aura. They do their pulse in the command phase and then they're done. Um, They can raise banners for you, but you've got the multitasking cortex as well so that you can do an action and still shoot. Um, and probably if we if we end up talking about ADMEC, it's, it's probably one of the problematic things about them is that so many of their weaknesses are covered in their, their own book. Um, so the fact that they're able to fall back and shoot, the fact that they're able to do an action and shoot, that's all you want from the Rangers. The, the quality of the firepower is so good. Uh, 40 shots, you know, at worst hitting on fours, AP minus one, that um, you don't mind if they just move, shoot, do an action with multitasking cortex. So that's how I covered that weakness. All right, I love it. So moving on, actually, I kind of
0: wanted to talk to you about um, a couple of different things with Admech. Um, I know that uh, in your list, you you did Mars Lucius in both the Open and the Invitational, right?
2: Totally, absolutely.
0: Okay, so I guess uh, we, you know, we kind of saw that you were going for more offensive output, and I'm assuming that is why you didn't go with the uh, Skitari Veteran Defense Cohort uh, yeah. in the Open list because that's just you know. It's good, I'm sure. I'm sure you agree with that it's good, but it does cost points to make those upgrades. And when you have more and more Rangers and Vanguard, it becomes a more and more expensive tax you have to pay. Um what? you consider it at all for your invitational list? Did you consider it at all, period, or did you just decide it wasn't lining up with how you wanted to play the army?
2: Yeah, there was two things to it, if I was being super honest. So um I started to play a little bit more with infiltrators and rust stalkers in some testing pieces, and I just was not quite getting a feel for them. Myself, like, um, I I really, really fight to include infiltrators and dogs in my list. So, um, the, the, oh, I forget their names, the the Cerberus Raiders, um, every time I include them, they do cool stuff, but I always feel like they help me win more if I'm going first, and they very rarely really, really help me. So, I'm always fighting. And then the, the infiltrators, their damage output, is just not high enough. Even once you buff them with the two strats, you know they they struggle to kill a five man vanguard vet unit with with storm shields. And then I do think you need the full veteran cohort if you're going to get deep into rust stalkers, right? Which is it's just a totally different army. And then one of the things I was I was worried about, and you know potentially and certainly, obviously, I'm I'm not one to to question Richard, but like, um, I was dead worried about the the orc matchup. So one of the things I was thinking about is not including lots of two wound models in my list. And I do think you need to go one way or another um, because they're just such good targets for the Orc squig buggies. And we knew that they were going to be popular and they were actually. Um, So I think in, in some other tournaments you were kind of expecting that people had still maybe not taken the time to build them or potentially hadn't really put the, the, the layout on, on, on buying that army because obviously there's such fear about it getting nerfed, but um, I wouldn't want to sit there with kind of um two what what is it, 26 Rust stalkers and, and kind of seven or eight infiltrators into all that damage too. Um, because I, I do think you're in trouble if you're going second against that. Whereas actually with the range of blobs, even though they 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 max their shots because of obviously the blast rule, like I, I think you can survive it um and you've got a chance of, of fighting back going second. Whereas I'd be really worried if I had invested too much into the two wounds Katari
0: Okay, yeah. I like that. Um, you know, speaking of blasts, uh, did you ever consider uh Vanguard at all as a troops choice? Uh you know, again, I know if you're not taking the veteran cohort, they still have the same blast problem. But uh it made me think of it and uh then it made me
2: realize that you pretty much are exclusively rangers on your troops, right? Yeah, I, I think the um the nerfs to their strat uh definitely just pushed me entirely into, into Rangers and um, they're just such multi-purpose, right? So we we knew that they were good into dreadnoughts that were going to be around a lot because the UK meta has embraced the iron hands list. Um, So obviously the Vanguard really struggle into that list. Yes, you can, you can pour some stuff into the Vanguard vets if you can catch an angle, but even then you're only at minus one um, if if you can get the buff. So um, the Rangers just seem better on all accounts of the stuff that we thought we were going to face, which was kind of, the only time you'd really maybe want the vanguard is is into the Drakari matchup, but um, the more and more I play that, the more I think that Admech is rock to to kind of uh, Drakari scissors, and um, like I, I've never really feared that matchup too much, whether they're going first or second, um, which is it's kind of what I said. Obviously, watching Brad and, and Richard go at it, like I just I just don't see how Drakari win that matchup at all.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a very uphill battle for the Jakari. I, I've discussed that at length with a variety of people through our various Art of War forums and circumstances. If you want more of that stuff, you can check it out in the Worm. But um, things that I think maybe I'm not understanding how you scored, like missions like Direct Sweeping Clear, right? You can take direct assault for. Uh, a nice, clean fifteen if you can get onto a turn one, or and you couple that with strangleholds. You can get some really good points or you can engage with your planes all day. But if you ever needed to do that, how did you get to those objectives on turn to turn top of two so you could start scoring or bottom of two if you went second and really get those fifteens or or tens or direct assaults and those missions too? because your army is twenty man bricks of obsec, but they're not that fast and if they're advancing, they're not shooting typically. So, totally. uh, how do you score points early with it?
2: Yeah, uh, to be really, really honest with you, it is—it is not my play style. For any of you who have ever watched me or or seen like I, I don't I don't embrace uh, a lot of the board control. So, actually, if you ask this question to Manny, who plays obviously a very similar list to me, um, he always had a spare Lucius blob to go and just threaten the middle in that first turn because that's the non-Whilst we stand squad. Um, so he would use his pregame move, use it quite aggressively to put twenty offset models. He doesn't care if it dies. The opponent has to commit stuff to the middle as well. Um, but I rarely ever took those. So I didn't take stranglehold once in in I think all ten games. Um, I, I said, yeah, I know it's it's a very weird thing, right? But I didn't I didn't take stranglehold. I didn't take direct assault. I literally focused whilst we stand, engage on all fronts, and then figure out whether rod or banners was going to be my kind of go to um of course if the opponent's army was giving me something so um if 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 there was obviously a, a no prisoners or something else in there then you know we could go for that but um for the most part the third secondary i was always using rodal banners
1: yeah makes sense do you ever did you ever find you wanted anything else in your army like Cerberus Raiders, even in small units or maybe Taraxi, or just anything to give you some more tools or was it really just for the open 100 points is the fastest way to get that score?
2: No, definitely. I've, uh, I've thought about it more and actually I've, I've submitted a list for a tournament this weekend and um, I, I wondered whether I wanted to go for my invitational list or whether I wanted to go for my main list um, and I, I've actually kind of went somewhere in between so um just, just dropped a, a few bits of the offense in order to be able to include um, a infiltrator unit. So just, you know, it's only a twenty-five percent chance, right? Because it's half the games in which you're going second and you win the roll-off, where you're going to be able to use them to really protect yourself. Um, and then just a three-man unit of dogs, again, just to really help mitigate a little bit of the the, the pain or the damage that uh, a pod can do. And then, of course, you've still got the tricks, you know, that you've still got the ability to just obviously put a cheap squad in the middle to either uh, deny or just hold an objective, you know, impervious to charges. So, you know, force you to shoot them off using, is it tactical oblique or something, whatever the the strat is called to run away. So I I definitely think a few tools extra, um, but that, that isn't necessarily just because of the format. I think that's just a better list. To have a few tools in there, so um, again, I was talking about balance earlier before. So somewhere in between the two lists, um, I think is the sweet spot.
1: Right. So your two lists have. We've talked a lot about the rangers and the inventory and how you actually score your points with this army and why it's so effective at that. We haven't talked much about how you use these planes. Now, of course, planes are only so point and click, I shoot my guns at your units. But like there's target priority. And much more than that, there's moving. When do you fly off? When do you screen? When do you do zigzags in your deployment zone versus go to your opponent's side? How how do you manage these planes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point because actually I was, um, I want to say screaming at my TV, but more watching it on my laptop. But I I thought uh, uh, Richard did a a really curious thing, turn one in his game against Brad and and flew his bomber off, um, which felt like a weird decision for me. Um, so I absolutely use them hyper-aggressively. Um, and, um, a lot of times I think people were surprised with my queuing. Um, so people thought that I would go to the planes first and I almost always shot them last. So for example, in the Dracari matchup, I'd always try and ace a Raider with at least w- if, if the Mars squad could get in they they do it on their own because of the mortal wounds. Um, if a Lucia squad, well, if it had the Raiment and the Technomanta, so um, obviously the ability to hit on twos or threes, depending, you know, which to, whether I've gone first or second. Um, but add that to Galvanic Fire, I'd try to open up a, a Raider, and I'd always, always put the planes in such a position where people couldn't hide from them. So pretty extreme movement. You see it even in the final, even though it's a crappy game to watch, but, like, um, all my planes, their, their, their wings and so on and so forth are, are sneaking in to be able to see Alex's... Um, Deathwatch squad, uh, because I want to make absolute maximum use of all that extra chaff fire that they've got. So they've obviously got the six Phosphor shots and the the eight Stubber shots. Um, So I'd always cue them last. So play them super aggressively and cue them last. And then once, for example, a Raider is open and some Witches are on the ground, then you're in this perfect spot where the planes start to get into a really nice rhythm, where you shoot the las Cannons at the next Raider and you shoot the um, Stubbers and the Phosphor at the squad that's already poured out of a Raider. And you keep doing this, because the last cannon's almost inevitably open another Raider, and then the next plane gets to do the same thing, and it sets off this chain reaction. So, like, the damage into Drakari was frightening. Um, and that's probably where I really weighed up the uh, the, the bomber, because um, I think in, in my meta, there's a lot of the Iron Hands, and the, mo- the, the bomber isn't great into that. So, you know, if you want to bomb their dreadnoughts, you almost always want to leave, end up leaving yourself in a, in a bad position or you end up flying off the board. So, you know, to, to spend 130 or 150 points to do three mortal wounds to, to a dreadnought doesn't feel great. And then of course the 16 stubber shots just do nothing into Vanguard vets that are on a two up save. But, um, of course into Dracari, it's amazing. You know, they'll, they'll clean up a 10 man, witch squad mostly. Um, so I use the planes really, really aggressively always to get engaged um, I think, if I'm honest, none of my opponents gave me the opportunity to screen them them out. Um, so uh, it was only in that last game where I actually made a, mi- a kind of mistake um, and I, I just had to think twice about whether I wanted to use the plane to screen a pod out. But I was going first anyway, so I, s- I still think the better move is to just make sure you you maximize your damage output and never, never give any of that up with that list. Um, so I use the, the planes really aggressively, um, you know, if I could cause people or, or move block a little bit or protect myself um, with them, I would. Um, so, yeah, de- definitely, you know, they're, they're obviously awesome, awesome firepower. Um, and I think, you know, if I'm honest, I, I don't want to see them fully nerfed out the game. Um, I, I'd like to see them soft touches because I don't want to see them go the way of, for example, Space Marine planes, which are just unplayable at the moment. Um, but, yeah, definitely very, very aggressive. And I actually... I think it's really important to queue the rest of the army before the planes just because they're so, so effective, and particularly in that turn one if they got both Doctrinas for plus one to hit and the one reroll for hit, wound, and damage. Yeah,
1: very interesting approach. Typically, I mean, I, I play against Mr. Sieg's a lot with his planes, and he's always looking for... Um... Conser- conservation of resources and move blocking and anything he control not really relying on damage, just doing the minimal damage to accomplish this game plan. This list is, you know, same faction, still ad mech, and a lot of the units are the same, but the entire approach is different, where you're just trying to maximize damage so they can't swing back. It, you said this really isn't your style, so why have you gone for this style when there are other specific, like, clearly successful styles out there
2: yeah it's just, it's just always been my style actually when uh, my team tell me all the time when it whenever i have tried to play a little bit cagey and tried to focus and and save my resources i play worse like 100 uh when i'm aggressive i w- it was the same way with yanari i'd be absolutely in people's face asap uh you know playing, sometimes, if I'm honest, back then, some small percentage plays, but just hyper-aggressive. Um, I, and I, I think back to actually one major that that, that <laughs> will always cut me, uh, which was the Bournemouth final, which was a really, really big tournament. I think it was 120 or 130 people. And I, I played my own teammate in the final. And um, it was just after LVO. So actually, it was a rematch, if I'm honest, of the game, uh, John, you had with Manny, uh, where it was my it was my fists versus the the braviathan um as as we all call it so your, your leviathan iron hands um and i got first turn and, and i knew i could do the damage and i just i, I really i really questioned myself and um i ended up dra- dropping suppressors in a position where i thought later on they'd give me a a, a kind of a shot down to to the chaplain dreadnoughts as i started to kill all the kind of intercessors around everything and um in, in doing that, I left actually one flank, like one turn too long in terms of just clearing them with the Scorpiuses. And I, I lost that game 27 to 26. This was the old ITC score, right? And it was the one time in my life I tried to be like super cagey and super clever about it all and just really focus on the mission rather than play my instinctive style, which is just really, really good target priority and really try to cause as much damage as possible and just Absolutely hamper the opponent's ability to score through maximising damage. Um, So it's just not my style. Like um, I I much prefer to to really focus on being able to deny them by thinning their army very very quickly and and, and just starting the avalanche. And um, look, I think I think you can play both styles, right? Like you run a real risk when you try and copy somebody else's style that that is not your nature. Um, you know, it has never been my nature to, to really focus on the mission. So we have to more right now in ninth edition than we did in eighth. Um, you know, in eighth, <laughs> I think, you know, you've, I've, heard every nickname under the sun, but I've always focused on, on threat saturation and I always focused on being able to kill my opponent and that was what it was going to stop them scoring. Um, so I just think it's important. You, you, you find your own style and you stick to it. And, you know, thankfully it's, it's, it's found me a little bit of success. And if not, then you just have to be really studious in in copying. I think, you know, uh, (laughs) Caesar's a phenomenon, like he's, he's, he's very difficult to follow. I mean, you all know him intimately, right? So, um, I don't know how he gets away with some of the stuff he gets away with. And if I don't get it, if I don't feel it, then I'm not going to try and play that list.
1: It's Uh, really funny you say that just, uh. It, especially because you mentioned the the Richard Seeger game versus Mark Perry's Orcs, the Adamek versus the Orcs match from this weekend. Because if you ask Brad Chester, who's one of our teammates, um, how Richard won that game, Jedi mind tricks is the only answer.
2: Uh, yeah, t- I mean, I was I was talking about the the uh, Dracari final, but yeah, the, the I mean, the Orc game is horrible. I had I had uh, <laughs> I had Kyle Thompson, who's a great player, and he um he went first against me against the Orc buggies, and I have never scraped and ground more to get a win. So actually my whole LGT pivoted around this game. where I went second into, into the bloody old buggy list. Uh, and I won 88 to 86, but, um, I feel like I was better equipped than, than Richard is to, to, to deal with, with that list. So if he if, if he won into it, then I'm, I'm not surprised. He's obviously just a, a phenomenal player.
1: Yeah, yeah, he went into it pretty solidly, actually. So I, I was watching that game. It's on commentary on Games Workshops Warhammer Twitch TV channel. So uh, if you give it a watch, if I recommend, but it is really impressive to see how consistent he is with that. But anyways, this is back to you. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I actually think that uh, you know, the playstyle thing that you were talking about really highlights the differences in the list. Um, obviously, we just had Richard Siegler win the New Orleans event with a list that had four Mars planes in it. Um, but other than that, they are, you know, about as different as two admec lists can be. And I think that the difference in how you guys play the planes has to come down to the playstyle and the rest of the list, where I think, you know, the aggressive playstyle with the planes works really well for you. And in your list, I I almost certainly agree it's the right call because you have a lot of ranger bricks and you have a lot of ranged firepower. If you lose the planes by playing them aggressive, but by getting a lot of damage done, I don't think it's the end of the world at all. Whereas, um, Richard's list, he has exactly one ranger brick and he protects it. He puts all the buffs on it with the veteran cohort and he used the planes conservatively because they're doing a lot of the work early and he kind of needs them to, if he's going to protect his board control elements, where if he loses his planes early by jetting them into the opponent's deployment zone, well, he actually really only has a little bit of guns left at that point. You know, not that an ad list is ever going to be light on shooting, but it's definitely not going to have, you know, oppressive world ending shooting once the planes go down way having a lot of rangers left like i, I don't want to get shot by you know 60 80 100 you know 500 rangers it feels like whereas
2: i think i can stomach getting shot by one unit of rangers if i've been able to deal with the planes i mean 100 percent. you've hit the nail on the head on that and it's it's exactly why i do it and exactly what follows up so in the few matchups where the planes do die is at that point not only had people had to commit but even then They're in their deployment zone, right? So things like the auto-explode strat, which um, having low guy is one of the few good ones that you can do for free, just starts to tear bits out of the opponent's army that they don't want to lose. So the amount of times I landed a plane, making sure it covered an entire objective, their home objective, which just gave the, the opponent this horrible choice of, do I want to kill this plane and take the D3 mortal wounds to everything. And, and usually it's not just one unit holding the home objective, right? Usually that's where the buffing characters are. Uh, you know, for iron hands, you might have the the Scorpius or the Arcus along with the, the contempt to dread. So, um, it was just that the style allowed me to do a couple of different things with, with those planes. Um, but definitely I, I, I agree with you, you know, once Richard loses them, he, he loses his cover uh, a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. Agreed.
1: I want to just ask one more thing, because I agree completely on the style thing. I can't even imagine playing a list the way you played it, Malik. but that you know, night and day over there, that's cool, that they're both successful styles. Um, do you think one style does better in specific formats, like Lungeon DT, maybe Terrain, or the missions you were playing, or the fact that you had to smash your games, whereas in something like uh, the more common US formats here do uh, win-loss all the way to the end, where you just win no matter what it is?
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, firstly, I think it's really important to to kind of acknowledge that mostly we do play win loss. This was this was the first time, and I have to again say, just um, talking to Zach a little bit, like um, there's there's so many different factors that went into that decision, and you know, it wasn't a blind decision. You know, we, we'd all obviously highlighted quite early that it meant you know we'd have lots of undefeated. Um, I think balance is important you know you you need to write a list that is going to complement your style and then you need to cover some of its weaknesses um you know for example like if uh, the earlier iterations of of caesar's list was kind of all uh rust stalkers and infiltrators so on and so forth if i'm not mistaken right correct me if i'm wrong whereas pretty much all (laughs) whereas now you know he's got four planes um and i think that's an evolution and and it starts to cover a weakness right you know having no guns is definitely a weakness, no matter how you see it. Like, um, your list might be written all around its ability to control the board, but having no reach is a, a weakness that maybe your opponent can expose. Um, so I think it's, it's balance. Um, yes, you have to look at each tournament individually, a hundred percent. I've always, I've always talked about knowing, you know, what terrain you're going to play on, um, what level of opponents, you know, sometimes even, if I'm being really honest, if you know that you're going to have four or five opponents that you know regularly reach the top tables, regularly win tournaments, you need to absolutely think in your list: can you deal with whatever they're likely to bring? You know, it's it's silly to to not do stuff like that. I think tournament management, and then I think there was a discussion uh, on a podcast earlier on on the Honest War Game or on some some other podcasts as well around you know how much how much skill goes into winning a tournament, and why do the same players win tournaments regularly and and it's in that preparation that you do beforehand as well so you know I, I just don't think you can pick up a list off, off the internet and win um without putting the repetitions in without putting the thought into how the list wins you know I, I couldn't copy any of your lists without doing all the stuff that we do beforehand going into a tournament um and hope to win with them
1: I, I really couldn't agree more. Even in practice, when I pick up anyone else's, you know, like Sean Nain's list or your list or Manny's list, and just put it on the board so John or Sieg have someone to practice against. I, I know I'm not piling this thing anywhere close to as professionally as one of you has put the time and created it, sculpted it, and thought of every matchup, and I'm just picking up and playing it. So I, I couldn't agree more. And also to your point that every turn needs to be looked at individually and then also as, as down to the detail as you want to get into it. Like literally, Down to where the terrain is, which missions are we playing, which players are going to end, what those players are gonna bring. What if I play this player with that army in this mission? Like as detailed as you can get only increases your odds. It's all in the homework.
2: 110 percent and you know hopefully people see that more and more and you know what the the tools and resource we have now as well like do you remember back in the day when when you know kind of bcp wasn't so proficient and you'd have to just kind of word of mouth or end up using 10 different websites or 10 different applications to go and understand what had won where in australia um and things like that so now obviously we've got these these amazing tools so like there's, there's no excuse really if you if you want to be somebody that wins tournaments regularly to not understand the meta really well. Um, and of course, like you, you both know this clearly, but for anyone that, that doesn't, you know, games are one. Sometimes once, once you've figured out your list, games are one in your knowledge of what your opponent can bring. Um, the amount of times I'll, I'll win a game just because my opponent doesn't understand the firepower. Even if you, if you talk them through it, right. Cause often, you know, at the start of the game, you're going to talk through your list. You're going to talk through the, the tricks so they don't get caught out. Right. So, I always describe Solar Flare and the buffs that are going to go on a Lucia squad um, and, you know, the buffs that I can do to my plane, so on and so forth. Um, But those three minutes or five minutes that you spend at the start of a game understanding your opponent's list, if that's the first time, you've heard about Admic or, or Grey Knights or Thousand Suns or anything else you're playing against, you're at a disadvantage because the best players know about it. They know what to expect. They know what tricks they're going to face. So I think it's just a really important part of the preparation as well as just to understand what you're going to play against and know what it can do. Honestly, I love hearing you talk about
0: uh, you know, talk about the homework so much because honestly, I, I think that's one of the things that I have put a lot of my success into is the fact that I do, Nick can attest to this, maybe too much homework if such a thing too exists, much homework. Uh, I I do about as much homework as I have uh you know time I'm not
2: eating or sleeping <laughs> when it comes to getting ready for a tournament. Oh, 100%. And and again you know like um if one good thing came out of the global pandemic was the, the rise of TTS, right? So there's almost like no excuse right now. You can read every list from all around the world everywhere. You can put it virtually on a tabletop although if I'm really honest I hate TTS. I'd I'd rather proxy than 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 play uh, on TTS but um like you absolutely have to put that work in and and it pays off I, I really do think it pays off um and that for me is probably the difference you know uh why some players will win more regularly than others
1: It clearly paid off for you at London GT and London Invitational. So thanks so much for calling me on, Malik. I'm super excited to talk about your part two, uh, where we break down how you play this list into various different armies. Because as you said, whether or not you target prioritize witches or something might be counterintuitive for some people. So I'm excited to see how you figure out your army versus the different matchups. I'll catch it up in part two, everyone.
2: Awesome. Thank you again and, and thank you all. And I'll hopefully, see you all on a board one day.
0: Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40k network. War 40 kcom